We're in um, Hebrews chapter 7, so it'll go up on the board. I just want to get straight into it, Hebrews chapter 7. And what I want to do today is I just want to read the whole chapter. So you're ready to hear some scripture today, 28 verses. Um, but I'm just looking at it, this, this chapter really just flows from beginning to end. And so it was very difficult to sort of break it up into components without uh, losing something of what is being said here. So I know Ian did cover verses 1 to 10 last week, but I just want to read it again because it'll just help us to put everything into context. And uh, there is never any, anything bad about reading the scriptures. So let's, let's get into it. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 to 28. For this Melchizedek king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. You remember Ian shared about this last week with us. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is the first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning or of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to, give, was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So those are the verses that Ian expounded on last week. Verse 11. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. 
But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now this passage, this chapter that we've just read, it's, it's all about priests. And it might be a little bit confusing to some of us, particularly if we don't have a, a, a deep background in the Old Testament. We might sort of just be absolutely confused and our heads might be spinning just trying to follow these. And these, as I've read it, these words might just seem like words to you that really don't have much meaning. And so today what I want to do is I just want to unpack what the, the writer has been sharing here. Because there's an incredible truth here. Incredible truth that is absolutely relevant to us. And the way that I felt would be the best way, the easiest way to unpack and understand what is being said here... It's just by asking a, 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 a series of questions. And so that's what I'm going to do today. We're just going to go through a series of questions, and we're just going to answer these questions. And I believe that by the end of this, you should have a better understanding of what he's actually talking about here. So the first question we want to ask, and they're going to come up on the overhead, is what is the role of a priest? What is this thing about priests? What is this all about? So let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. It'll come up as well. There it is. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So when the scriptures are talking about priests, this is what it's all about. It has to do with sinners being made acceptable to God, appeasing His wrath. And turning it away from sinners. Making intercession for them. Gaining God's favor for them. And securing access to God for them. So that just sort of sums up what scripturally priesthood is all about. It's about man's relationship with God. Man's standing with God. Man's ability to have access to Him. So let's go on and ask the second question. What are the qualifications that Scripture lays down that are needed to be a priest? Okay, now let me just say this. Some of you, when I talk about being a priest, all you see is a man wearing a dog collar. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about something else. What are the qualifications needed to be a priest? We see this in the same verse that we've got, uh, we had up there, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. Okay, there it is. Firstly, it talks about the fact that he needs to be chosen from among men. 
That means he needs to be a man. So in order for someone to be a priest, they had to be human. And they had to be chosen by God and appointed by him to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Okay, so that's the first thing. And to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 4. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God. So in other words, no one can be a priest unless God appoints them. It's as simple as that. There's no such thing as a self-appointed priest in God's economy. God is the one who chooses. God is the one who appoints. God is the one who calls that person. So let's move on to the next question. Why is there a need for a priesthood in the first place? I mean, what is this all about? Why do we need a priesthood? Well, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. It goes back to that time when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, disobeyed God, they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of tree, uh, uh, the tree of good and evil, and they, they fell from that position that they had with God, and there was an estrangement that took place between them and God on that day. And there was a judgment that came upon them. And you know that that judgment came upon every single one of their unborn children at the same time. So when Adam sinned, every single one of us was in his body at that time. And when judgment came on him, it came on all of us. When he was estranged from God, do you know every single one of us became estranged from God? And that's the condition of humanity and has been the condition of humanity since that time right up to this present day. There is a schism between man and God. And so that's, it goes all the way back to that time. There was a need for somebody to represent man before God and to atone for his sins and appease God's wrath so that people could once again be accepted into the presence of God and could receive God's blessing and favor because sin stopped that all up. And so to understand the need of priesthood, it goes right back to that time. And it's very interesting when you think about humanity in general, there seems to be this innate knowledge within humankind that we need someone to represent us before God. If you just think of all the different religions in the world, you will find that almost every single religion has some sort of form of priesthood. Some sort of form of where people look to another to represent them before God. You find it in Buddhism, you find it in Hinduism, you find it even in this nation, even in traditional religion of this nation. There is the sense that there needs to be someone who's going to represent us before God. So in this nation, it's the Mudzimu, Vadzimu. They're the ones that represent in the traditional belief man before God or the people before God. So this idea of the need of a priesthood is built into humankind. We all have this sense, this, this sort of innate sense that we need someone to represent us before God. 
And this is what the priesthood is all about. Even in Scripture, we see that it was not just Israel that had priests. We see that Jethro, who was Moses' father-in-law, was a priest of the Midianites. And so it is just right there, integrally a part of human psychology and human thinking. This idea that we need someone to represent us before God. More than that, what we also see is that God, the true God, the God of Scripture, the God of the Bible, has made it clear that His people need priests. Okay, and I've put four, four reasons why we can see this. The first one is right there in the Garden of Eden. If you go and you read Genesis chapter 3, which we don't have time to do today, but if you read it, you will see on the, in the very time that Adam and Eve fell from God's uh, favor, where they were about to be sent out of the Garden of Eden, and God brought the cherubim with those flaming swords to guard the way to the tree of life. Do you know something happened? If you remember the story, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they suddenly became aware of the fact that they were naked. Shame and guilt, fear arose in their hearts for the first time since they were created. And they hid from God. Do you know man has been trying to hide from God ever since? Why? Because there was a sense of foreboding in man's heart concerning God because of sin. And what did they do to try and hide their nakedness? They took some leaves from the trees and they sort of, I don't know how they did it or what it even looked like, but they tried to hide their nakedness with leaves. It was futile. They still, even though they had made that covering for themselves, were still ashamed in the presence of God. But then God did something. You know, the Bible says that God killed an animal and He took the fur, He took the, the skin of that animal and He made a covering for Adam and Eve. And you know that that was a picture of the fact that God was going to provide a sacrifice. Something was going to have to die in order to cover man's nakedness, take away his shame and guilt, and enable him to enter into the presence of God. And so God, right in the beginning, right in the garden, shows us that there was going to be a need for sacrifice, for the shedding of blood, and for a covering to be provided for people, so that they could once again stand without shame in the presence of God and without fear. And so right there we see that pointing to the fact that there was going to be a need for a priesthood to do this. Secondly, we see Melchizedek. We saw this last week. Melchizedek appears on the scene and he's called the priest of the Most High God. So right back in the, in the beginning, I mean, we're talking 4,000 years ago, we see priests coming to Abraham, the father of faith, a priest, Melchizedek. And then thirdly, we see what is talked about in this chapter that we read, the Levitical priesthood. 400 years after Abraham, God takes the nation of Israel out of Egypt and He gives them the law. He establishes a covenant with them. He gives them His law. He gives them basically their constitution as a nation. And it's a part of that whole thing. In fact, the very foundation of that whole constitution and that whole law was this aspect of priesthood. God was showing that there had to be someone from amongst people that would represent mankind, humanity, before Him, 
and offer sacrifices for his sin so that we could approach the presence of God. So do you see how God has built this in into the revelation of who he is and into the revelation of his relationship and dealings with people? Okay, so the Levitical priesthood was appointed by God, just this one family out of the 12 tribes of, of Israel, this one tribe out of the 12 tribes of Israel, was set apart by God, consecrated by God to be a priesthood. When they went into the promised land, God did not give them a single inch of ground to farm. They were the only tribe that didn't receive an inheritance. Why? Because God didn't want them to be farmers. He set them aside to be priests. And that's why the nation of Israel took a tenth of their produce, the other 11 tribes took a tenth of their produce and gave it to the Levitical, the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, because they had no means of providing for themselves because they were not given any inheritance, no land. God set them apart to fulfill this function for the nation of Israel. What was he doing? He was showing the need for, a, for priests, the need for a priesthood so that man could stand before him and relate to him in the way that he desired. Fourthly, some years later, probably around, I think it's around about 600 years later, God, by the Holy Spirit, speaks through the prophet David, and we see this in Psalm 110. And what does he say? He speaks about someone whom he calls Lord, whom he calls Adonai. And he says that God is going to make him sit at his right hand, and that God is going to make him a priest in the order of Melchizedek forever. And God swears, makes an oath, that this is what's going to happen. And this particular passage in, in Psalm 110 is quoted throughout this book to the Hebrews, this letter to the Hebrews. Who is that high priest? Well, we already know because we've been going through the book of Hebrews and this is the message of Hebrews. The high priest that David prophesied about is Jesus Christ. He is the high priest that God has caused to sit at his right hand and that God on oath has sworn will be high priest forever. So we see right through the Old Testament, God is showing us the need for a priest. And he's revealing to us who that priest actually is. It's Jesus Christ. So let's move to the next question. Why was there a need for another priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is a question that rises in this passage. Why was there a need for another priest in the order of Melchizedek? God had appointed the Levitical priesthood. He had gone to such great uh, lengths, elaborate detail on how they were to, to function, what they were to do. I mean, if you read the book of Leviticus, that's what it's all about. A whole book devoted just to how the Levitical priests were to carry out their functions and their duties. So why does God now say that there is a need for another priest in the order of Melchizedek? Well, we're told here in this passage, the old order, the Levitical priesthood, could not achieve what was needed for the people. Look at verse 11, Hebrews 7:11. It says, If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, 
For under it the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? You see, perfection was not attainable through that priesthood. And when we talk about perfection, what is it talking about? It's talking about what God desires, what He can accept. The old order didn't achieve what God had in mind. It didn't make God's people acceptable to Him. And so that's why there was a, a need for a new priesthood, a new order, a new covenant, and a better hope. Look at verses 18 to 22. He says, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. What's that former commandment? The Levitical priesthood. God set it aside. Why? Because it was weak and useless. It never accomplished what God wanted it to accomplish. Verse 19, For the law made nothing perfect. Nothing perfect. But on the other hand, this is now speaking to this priest in the order of Melchizedek, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And that better hope is the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what that better hope is. That better hope that God has introduced is the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. God has done away with the Levitical priesthood and brought in the priesthood of Jesus because that is what people needed. The Levitical priesthood did not meet their needs, could never meet their needs, but the fact that He has appointed Jesus to be high priest offers us a far better hope. Isn't that wonderful? So let's ask the next question. Why does Jesus' high priestly ministry offer us a better hope than the Levitical priesthood? Well, I think we've already answered it a little bit, but let me just bring out two points here. The first one is, His appointment is based on merit and not on ancestry. The second one, His appointment is unchangeable and eternal. So let me ask a question. Would you rather have a government that is appointed on merit or on ancestry? I was just thinking the other day of the coronation that took place last week. And I'm not trying to cast anything on King Charles. But would you rather have someone who is, based, is appointed on merit or on ancestry? I mean, you don't have any control over what you get if it's just by ancestry. Do you know that Jesus was not appointed priest because of ancestry? He was appointed priest because he's perfectly equipped for the job. And I'd rather have someone who's perfectly equipped for the job than someone who's just got the right gene pool. Okay. So what was it? Well, first and foremost, this is what equipped him for the job. The power of indestructible life. I think that's quite something. The power of indestructible life. Look at verse 16 to 17. He has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, in other words, ancestry, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so the first thing we see, his indestructible life. Secondly, look at verses 26 to 28. 
This is Jesus being appointed on merit. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, with no need like the other high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, Psalm 110, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. He's been made perfect forever. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. In other words, not one of them, and exalted above the heavens. Could we find anyone more qualified to be our priest and represent us in the presence of God than Jesus Christ? There's no one. I don't know if you remember Revelation 5, it says they searched. There was a search that was made throughout the entire universe. They were looking for someone, and no one could be found until Jesus appeared. The Lion of Judah, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the only one who on merit could be our high priest. Okay, so let's consider the second reason. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 20 to 22. Those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one, Jesus, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The perpetuity of his priesthood has been sealed with an oath. And if you remember back in chapter 6, remember the writer suddenly introduced this whole thing of God's oath? Why was he doing that? Because he was, taught, he was pointing to the fact that Jesus has been appointed high priest with an oath. God has sworn that there will never be another high priest. He is the high priest forever. Okay? Look at chapter 6. Uh, well, ch no, not, I'll, I just quoted that to you. Chapter 7, verse 23 to 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, and this is where it becomes relevant to us. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you see how often this word forever keeps coming up? Do you see the writer constantly, forever, talks about this everlasting priesthood? And this is the crux of the matter. Do you know that Jesus alone can fulfill this requirement of being a priest forever. This is why Jesus had to be raised from the dead. How could he be a priest forever if he wasn't alive forever? He had to be immortal to fulfill the word of the oath spoken in Psalm 110. And because he alone is alive forevermore, he has a priesthood that will never end. 
And because he's priest forever, he can perfectly accomplish what God wants him to accomplish. And what is that? He can save us to the uttermost, completely, to the very end. And you know that that's what he's going to do. This high priest that God spoke through the prophet David about is able to save whoever comes to God through him completely. Spirit, soul, and body. He's the only one that can give God's people eternal life because he's the only one that has eternal life. There's no other human that can give eternal life because no other human has it to give. But he does. He was raised from the dead, never to die again. He has the power of indestructible life. Isn't that incredible to think about? And this means something. It means that Jesus' high priestly ministry is just as relevant and significant to us today as it was to people 2,000 years ago. And it'll be just as significant to people 2,000 years from now as it is to us today. He is the high priest that God has appointed and chosen and called from among men to represent us in the presence of God, to offer that one, one for all time sacrifice for our sins, to take away our sins, and to be able to present us in the presence of God without blame, without shame, without fear, without guilt. That's why God appointed Jesus Christ. And He's able to do that. That's what it says. He is able to save to the uttermost everyone who comes to God through Him. One last question. What was the whole purpose in God bringing the story of Melchizedek into the Bible? of the Levitical priesthood and all those things. Why did God go to such trouble to appoint all of that? Why did He go to such lengths and elaborate detail in setting up that Levitical priesthood? What was the purpose? Do you know what it was? Maybe it can go up on the screen. Yes, it is there. He did it so that we could understand the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. It was all just a picture. It was like an illustration that God gave us, this very vivid, practical, real-life illustration of what Jesus was going to do so that we could understand His priestly ministry. Because Jesus' priestly ministry today is taking place where? In the unseen realm. How would we have known what He was doing for us unless God had actually showed it to us in physical reality? And so He took that Levitical priesthood and He built into it the very things that Jesus was going to do. We call it a, a shadow, a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. Okay, That's the reason He brought it. When God instituted it, it was never because that was what He had in mind as being our ultimate representation. He did it so we could understand the work of Jesus Christ. And as we go on in chapters, particularly chapter 9 and 10, the writer is going to break down and begin, begin to show us from that priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, what Jesus has done for us. And through that Levitical priesthood and what God uh, commanded them to do, we will come to understand what Jesus has done for us in the unseen realm as our high priest, and what he's doing for us even today.
So maybe now we can understand a little bit more why Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way into the presence of God. There is no other way to be accepted by God. There is no other way to be made right in His eyes except we come to Him through Jesus Christ. God has established Him as the high priest, the ultimate high priest. Ultimate because He's the greatest and ultimate because He's the last. There will never be another and so whenever somebody rejects the priesthood of Jesus, do you realize they cut themselves off from God? They will never be able to access God's presence by any other way except coming through this priest that God has appointed on oath to be priest in the order of Melchizedek forever. If we reject him, we reject God's way. But the good news is this. Whoever will come to God through him, he will save to the uttermost. Completely, forever, eternally. Isn't that wonderful? And so today we sit as people that are coming to God through Jesus Christ. We're not trying to go in the back door through the side door, it's through Him we come to God. He is our representative in the presence of God. He is our intercessor in the presence of God. He is the one that has atoned for our sins. We are totally dependent on Him and His work as our high priest. Let me just say one last thing before I close. Maybe there's someone here today and you've never made that choice or that decision, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your high priest. You've never accepted the truth, the fact that there's only one way for you to come into the presence of God and that's through Him. And you've never called on His name and you've never taken your eternal destiny and placed it in His hands. I want to encourage you to do that and to do that today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you saw our need as people. You saw our desperate need. You saw our sinfulness. You saw our waywardness. You saw our inability to cleanse ourselves and save ourselves. And so you appointed a high priest for us to do that work on our behalf. We want to thank you, Father, that you didn't appoint a sinner, but you appointed your sinless son. And you didn't appoint someone who would die, but someone who lives forever who rose from the dead and is alive forevermore. 
We want to thank you, Father, for Jesus today. We want to thank you that you have raised him up, seated him at your right hand, exalted him above the heavens, and made him everything that we need in order to be saved completely. So, Father, today, we praise you for that. We thank you for it, and we will do so for all eternity. We also pray, I pray for every person here today, that they might make certain that they come to you through him, that you might draw them to yourself through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the promise of salvation, this better hope that you have introduced. Thank you that we stand in it today because of Jesus. We, we bless you and we praise you. Amen. Well, I pray that that has just helped a little bit to make some sense of this particular passage that we read. And uh, I pray that it has just strengthened your faith. God bless you. Coffee and tea is served as normal. And uh, may the Lord just give you a great week. May he be with you in everything that you do. Amen.